Welcome back, everyone, to Us Without Them. This is a podcast about me without you. And today we are talking about the second track off of the album A to B Life. The song is called The Ghost. It comes right off the heels of <clears throat> Bullet to Binary, the album opener. And it introduces immediately a very different kind of a sound uh, from what you hear in Bullet to Binary. Very different. First in the music and then in the the vocal style, um, and I'm just going to play the opening riff to get us into the neighborhood of the song. So we start like that. We've just come out of a song that ended uh, solidly on an A... Uh, power chord. So that's the sound at the end of bullet to binary and then mm. Mm. that's what we get. Functionally, in terms of the notes, we're dropping a whole step from, from A down to, to G. Um, <clears throat> so we end on an, on an A power chord. Literally, this is just the pitches G and D. They're not, uh, there's no third in it. There's no like there's no third making it a G major. So it's not a right. major or minor chord, same way it's, it's so it's missing that third, but it doesn't sound like a powered chord because it's not on the low end of the guitar. Like right. this would be a, like, that would sound like a G power chord. This doesn't right. up here. Mm. What's sneaky though, is that they, they dropped out a whole step and then, and then this note that doesn't belong just creeps into it. Which of course yeah, yeah. is an A. Uh, the <laughs> the ominous A that begins the album comes back in as this this note that doesn't belong. So they're trying to move away from that A tonality, and it comes right back. And <laughs> is love it, it. Am I remembering this right? It feels like there's a bend in there. Do they bend up to that in the actual recording, or is it just maybe a trick on my ears that like because I, it comes back. You know, that's a fair question. I can't answer for sure. I don't, I, I hear what you mean. I think it's probably more an ear trick because it's a note that is out of place. Wow. Yeah. yeah. My mind is blown it's right sliding now. in. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I always thought of it as kind of almost a Southern rock kind of like bending yeah. into, <laughs> into the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if it is, man, it's someone's got a strong index finger on their left well, hand. Well, yeah. That yeah. close to the to the nut, it's really hard to bend a note. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> when you watch that documentary of them playing A to B live, like if you watch Brandon's hands, like he's, I don't think he's bending it. I think he's just Interesting. adding it on top. Okay. Anyway, so so that's the intro we get. We've we've moved up to a higher register uh, than the kind of like chunky power chords in before. We're moving down a whole step. And then we get this A, which is a note that I think as the album goes on, the notes A and B, I'm fully convinced, take on more and more like weight <laughs> and significance. Yeah. And so this is the first instance where it kind of makes a, a reappearance here in this track. Yeah. And then yeah. it goes to this this power chord riff. Just and then the gang vocals come in. I got more to say about the power chord riff, but uh, but maybe we can get there in a minute. So, sure. so let's talk about the vocal sound. And yeah. opening lines of lyrics in this thing. Yeah, well, I I mean, I just, you know, want to uh, say that the the beginning of this song is so unique, right, uh, in relation to the rest of Me Without You's catalog. Um, 
And it, it always just strikes me as, uh, you know, when I'm listening to this, like this is A to B life now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, we were, we were talking earlier that there's, there's something that feels very of the moment of 2001 sort of post hardcore. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just an interesting kind of moment within the context of the entire catalog as well. And um, it's just so unlike anything else. You don't really hear Mike singing like this on other tracks, at least not that I can recall. Um, he pops in here and there. Uh, but not to, like this, right? Correct, I mean, correct. He's leading the charge of this song. Right, exactly. Basically yeah. no you, one else does except for the hidden track. Well, yeah. The only other place on A to B Life, actually in on uh, we know who our enemies are in track eight. He yep. is the first voice you hear. That's the only yeah. Okay, fair. Okay, but it's different there in that he doesn't. In, on we know who our enemies are. He's not singing a melody, so the the feeling is different. Yeah, uh, that one. Well, and we'll talk about it on that track. But but yeah, it's a different vocal style than the ghost. It's also interesting. So you know, personal history with me without you. A to B life, as I think I've talked about before, uh, was not my first foray into them. It was mm-hmm. after Brother Sister came out. So I was listening to Brother Sister and Catch for Us the Foxes in tandem, um, which was a great way to get into the band. Those are two of my favorite albums of any band ever. So is this, though. But the first time I listened to A to B life, the ghost was like, I don't know if this is for me. Because of exactly what we were just talking about, Mike's vocals, which I now love. I love the styling. I, I think it's really unique and interesting. But it, I just wasn't in the mood for whining from someone who can't necessarily control their voice as well. But in, <laughs> right. in retrospect, that it brings this passion to the lyrics that, I mean, talk about can't control their voice very well. Aaron also is not the, the best at vocals. Um, from a from a technical standpoint, but that's okay. Like that, right. that's actually part of the whole veneer of this band. That that what I want more of, more of. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. That, that's such a good point. I, I used to get into this argument with um, it's some some friends who are like a few years younger than me who are yeah. uh, very much into like uh, very produced sounding, like something like. Um, like kind of late, well, later, uh, like Motion City soundtrack, but after their first album, yeah, like the the very kind of poppy, polished, um, you know, all time low, like these pop punk sort of emo influenced bands, um, yeah, and they, you know, they did not like the rougher sounding things like the Get Up Kids Four Minute Mile or any yep. Mineral record or something like that, and for me, there's just there's all like. It's not that I like listening to stuff that's off key or, you know, it's not about <laughs> that. It's it's more there's a certain kind of charm to yeah. this kind of music that's not perfectly polished. Um, be, I think because there's a, a, an air of kind of authenticity, but also it's just the raw it's the raw emotion of it. As well, right. I mean that's why we listen to this kind of music is because it's expressing a kind of uh, emotional feeling that we want to hear raw, right? We don't want to hear it in this kind of perfect um, pitch. Uh, and I actually, I mean, I I really like Aaron's uh, Aaron's singing. Um, I do too. Oh, but yeah, I I more am bringing that up to say 
anyone that I try to get into this band, yes, he is the barrier, which is unfortunate because he is the reason so many of us <laughs> super fans so stay. The, <laughs> the barrier because they don't like his singing voice or they don't like the kind of spoken word so, shouty stuff. Uh, yes. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so for example, my wife's a big fan of A to B life because they're shouting. The spoken word is aggressive and gruff mm-hmm. and not as polished. I, I would hazard to guess he didn't do too many takes in the vocal booth when he was doing this album. Sure. It was what gave them best emotional performance. All right, let's move on further on, especially when you get to like, it's all crazy. He's still talk singing, but mm-hmm. there's a, there's a melody to it. And for example, like when I'm singing along or like humming a me without you song in my head, she often says like, I know who you're singing as because you're <laughs> imitating Aaron. And like, that's not true for most other lyricists or most other vocalists, I should say. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's interesting though. I've heard, I've had some people say, why is he shouting so much? I've had other people say, why doesn't he shout enough? It's, it's a super interesting <laughs> thing. I want to like dig into more as we watch his vocal performance progression, as well as the other vocalists, you know, um, which we'll get into on this album and others. Yeah. So in terms of what, uh, what Mike's vocal style is trying to convey, we have, yeah. we have a feeling and a sound. But the words he's singing here are, I'll lie down for the last time and fall well away from her. And that's the first thing we get. That's that's Mike's part. Yeah. Um, I, I can just read the whole first I, kind Chunk. of chorus that we, we jump right into. So I'll lie down for the last time and fall well away from her. that I'll be dearly missed. Please say never, say never. There's all sorts of quotation marks as parentheses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can tease out who's saying what, where. Yep. And then it goes on, I'll pour down like water and in between the sky and doubt we talked about forever and all our other useless words. Okay. Who's talking to who in any of this? You guys got a feeling? Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> I was going to ask you, remind the audience and us mm-hmm. about kind of the frame narrative, if you will, of the of the record. Yeah. You know, so this section of the record, the first four right. tracks. So I I am increasingly convinced the more times I listen to this album that it is satisfying to hear it as a three act narrative where we start in act three. The, thir- the, the end of the story is what we hear first. Yeah. Uh, and so the first four tracks, Bullet to Binary, The Ghost, Nice and Blue, and Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt are actually the last section of the narrative. So because this is a breakup album, we're here in the middle of the, the breaking up process. Um, yeah. This, this first four tracks, starting with the beginning of Bullet to Binary with Let Us Die, Let Us Die, that to me is, is like the crystallized statement that I, I'm breaking up with you now. Let us die. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever else those lines might mean, sure. in terms of the simple breakup narrative, that's what they're doing. So now we're in a moment where that statement's already been made. You know, uh, yep. the, the conflict is, is in process. And so now we're seeing that work itself out. 
So, Joel, do you have something to say about who's speaking to who? Yeah, I mean, I think that I I think that it's in some ways this is there's a a process of wrestling with acceptance in this track. Yeah, Um, I, I think that it's it's the the narrator from from. Uh, bullet to binary, right? Who's breaking up with this uh, with this girl? Yep. Who's saying, "I'll lie down, fall well away from her. I insist that I'll be dearly missed." Um, this, please say never, say never. I, I mean, I think that there's maybe a few different ways to understand this, but it, in some ways, it kind of feels like that it, it's like, okay, what is she saying never to? The yeah. idea that he'll be dearly missed. And it's almost like he's saying, oh, say never to that because I want to, <laughs> I want to like hold on to this like bitterness in some way. Like yeah. I want you mm-hmm. to insist that you're, that I'm never going to be missed by you so yeah. that, um, you know, so that it's going to hurt even more when I am or something like that. I think that's one way to, to look at it. Well, and that pairs really well with the end of Bullet to Binary, like we talked about last time. Right, exactly. Kind of the, you know, falling down your cheek, the poison, et cetera, et cetera. And also because then the next uh, verse or the first verse, if we're going to call it that, Mm -hmm. um, is until I say. Right, so there's this bitterness, this kind of like um, uh, frustration uh, that's being expressed, right? About you, you know, forever is a useless word. Like mm-hmm. basically what were we even doing, you know, yep. kind of in this. And then until I say in his silent sound was the peace I found. Right. Um, so, and I, I have more to say about that because I don't think that that's uh, actually an honest moment <laughs> on the part of the character. Um, I think that there's something else going on there, which yeah. would, um when when we get to the Kurt Vonnegut reference, I can say something about that. But sure. um, but that's kind of where I am with this first uh, yeah. chorus part. That the, it, you're, I think you're right, Nick. It is continuing the bitterness from the yeah. end of Bullet to Binary. I almost I, I I I grapple between is it him talking to her or him talking to himself? Like, is there a third like the oh you know like because it you could interpret that whole first chorus if you will as self-referential like speaking speaking for her rather than what she is actually saying in the narrative of the story i don't know if i buy it but i that is one reading that i think is kind of interesting i think that that could work like he's telling himself like like maybe i hope you say never like maybe because he's trying he actually does want to like move on so he's saying actually say never Say, right. Don't don't say that I'll be dear. Like, never mind. Kind of. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and furthermore, the, it it's playing. The reason I like that reading is it plays with the toxicity of of bullet to binary, like the ending of bullet to binary specifically. Right. Which is like, man, I understand not wanting to be with someone because your life philosophies don't align. But holy crap, this is uh, <laughs> you're, you're perhaps taking this a little far, and then not to spoil our conversations about future albums, but watching the progression of how Aaron talks about these types of subjects as he matures as a person, as a songwriter, et cetera, et cetera. It seems very clear that what you just said, Joel, that 
this might not be as honest as he thinks it is in the moment. He, the character, not right, right, not right. Aaron himself, but and in that way, it takes on a whole new meaning as you see the progression throughout the subsequent albums. Yeah, I think that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to track. Yeah, um, kind of as we go on, like how does his point of view with regard to these kinds of challenging and also very human feelings um, yeah. mature in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think if, if you want to take the um, self-talk reading for the first mm-hmm. block of text, then it is interesting that it, that until I say that little passing line that again, I think that's Mike again, that jumps in almost like a narrator, like, you know, yep. in, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Then, then the first like, publicly spoken lines are in his silent sound was the piece I found. So like, it's this very polished, like statement that's being made. It's a very different feeling than, than all the sort of like panic self-talk that comes right before. Yep. It. I, I think that's, that's spot on it, it. The polished nature of it hits it. So here's just before we move on to the next section, I think there's something worth pointing out in the music in this first block, this kind of opening chorus here. So mm-hmm. I already played the, the intro, and and we got this riff that that while while Mike is is singing, I'll lie down for the last time and, and fall well away from her. We get it's just an alternation between a D power chord and an E power chord. It's easy to play on guitar when you're in drop D tuning. It's kind of just like a, an intuitive, you know, right uh, riff to play, but. Uh, the note that you hear most prominently, especially because it's in the bass guitar, is that D and E. But to play a power chord, you're also playing a fifth above. And so hidden in the middle of that power chord, this entire riff has this hidden line of... Which is literally <laughs> notes A and B over and over. Yeah. And, and isn't that so, the beginning of the the solo? Doesn't the solo also? Yep. Solo comes back it, around to that. Yeah. Okay. Also, as soon as Aaron comes in saying, "I insist that I'll be dearly missed," the music shifts and goes into a, a G major chord again. It's the same thing mm. sort of implied by the intro, mm. but on top of the G major chord is. Amazing. Slightly out of place. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> so that you can't get rid of it. Like that is this insistent undertone that no matter what changes around it, those A's and B's keep hammering in the background. Potentially out of place in in this part of the conversation, but we've talked about how Ricky is more like a true percussionist rather than Mm -hmm. a typical rock drummer. Yeah, And Mm -hmm. I think the way that those notes persist throughout songs Mm -hmm. with a certain rhythm to them, that's like the driving rhythm of the song. And Ricky's actually kind of like painting around it the way percussion works in a symphonic piece, which is really neat. Uh, I, I love it when bands... If there's another way they're bending genre, 
the bass and drums are doing something to add texture more than rhythm at times. And that's really mm. fascinating. Yeah. I also think just in terms of the layers, cause there's a lot going on in this opening yeah. thing that yeah. um, <laughs> the, I'll lie down. Ah, I'll lie down. Like that is that's, that's the first line, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's a, a G F sharp E. Um, okay. It's, it's this natural movement down from that G that starts it off. The next time Mike comes in, um, it's just fall, fall. And you really expect the word down to happen again, but it doesn't. It's just a G and an F sharp and it stops. Now that's almost irrelevant uh, to, the, to the whole meaning and experience of the song. Yeah. On a local level, it's an interesting choice because saying the word fall, fall down would be so obvious and intuitive if you're just doing it. So the fact that right. they made the choice at all to leave off the third line and not finish that phrase is interesting. And he comes back again and he finishes the phrase later. But yeah. it, just, it goes and hangs out on the F sharp in that second line. On a global perspective on the album, I just want to put a, a footnote there that that descent from G to F sharp that doesn't fall down to an E matters for the way this album's going okay <laughs> no yeah, that's well, super cool and he also i mean he also does kind of like a shout sing of the uh fall well away from mm-hmm. her like he doesn't yep. he just moves completely away from melody and, yep um and i actually like i like the sound of his voice when yeah. he does that i think that's yeah. something that's like um it's imitable like i i it's something that i would want to try to imitate Yep. If I were like making this kind of music, I like it a lot. Um, Same. What he does there. Yeah. And what, one more thing about the lyrics in this first section, and maybe we can move to the second section and yeah. all what's going on there. That the line all pour down like water is reminiscent of, of what we have at the end of bullet to binary. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. those aren't your tears, but I'm there falling down your cheek. It's this, yep. It's yep. this metaphoric representation of himself as, as water. So we have this image again, which I think it ties the last stanza of Bullet to Binary to the title of this song. Because, yep. you know, the words, the ghost, never appear anywhere in here, which begs the question, why is the song called The Ghost? Yep. Um, but the whole last section of Bullet to Binary is is very haunting imagery. When you laugh, yeah. you'll feel my breath there filling up your lungs. You know, it's like, it's the, like he's, it's very straightforward fashion saying, I'm going to haunt you after this relationship is over. Exactly. Yeah. So this carries over into the into the second song. Although I will say that the the way that he's pouring like water here, right? Mm-hmm. I'll pour down like water and in between the sky and doubt. Like I read those two lines together mm-hmm. as I am going to free fall <laughs> from the yeah. sky and the doubt is like am I going to survive this? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. Oh, I totally I think I think that that works. That sounds good to me. I I'm I'm thinking just on a purely imagistic level. Sure. Yes. Yes. What happened before? But I think he, the meaning when you take the phrase all together right. is something. Well, I think it can be both. Like I I think yeah. that it's hundred percent. It's it is calling back to that previous imagery, but now it's adding this new kind of uh, twist on it. I I guess mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Um, in in a sense, we're watching Aaron play with images that he likes. Like it, there's also yes. to, to play in to play into what you're talking about, Steve, with with why it's called the ghost. That's a tieback. I totally agree, and I think that's a great insight to that last stanza. I also wonder, though, you know, now's the time to talk about something bib- biblical for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> 
could ghost also be a reference to the Holy Ghost potentially? I, I don't know where where that would fit in. Hmm. Probably not with this first section of, of lyrics, but um, there's also a, a spinelessness to comparing yourself to Liquid. The I am hmm. now feeling like I'm not standing up for myself. Like where like is you my become spine? become a puddle? Yep. And someone becomes a puddle. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. That's, that's exactly it. So there's, there's these multiple layers. And I mean, Aaron keeps this throughout their, their discography of, of self-effacing of, of self doubt that changes yeah. and morphs and evolves. Sure. But it's, it's right here from the get go second track of the album. Like he is just as much as he is toxic and angry and, and, feeling vindicated in 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 his all his in all his vile vitriol he's also that much more angry at himself perhaps Well, and that's going to come back. Both the imagery of falling and the and the, the sort of self doubt is going to come at the end of this yeah. song. So we can revisit that in a moment. Um, but Joel, what do you what do you have to say about the second section? I you know I think of it as like verse one after the chorus is done because right. the music shifts. To yes, different here. <laughs> yes, um, it's it's yeah. And I would I I would love to hear about that um, that little uh, guitar line that's going on through the. Um, one yeah um yeah. well that but um isn't there also uh yes that yes that that, that. both yeah. of those are are meaningful in different ways let me say something <laughs> about the first one and then we'll get to yeah. the other one when it shows up okay the, um that little bit is uh to me feels like an immediate callback to the ending of Bullet to Binary, mm. which I'm oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. up about because it sounds like this yeah. lament figure that shows up in Baroque opera. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just a similar gesture. It's the same pitches. Uh, so Yeah, okay. So in the end oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Binary, we have it like that. Mm. And, then, and then this one. Bum, bum, bum. It's the same notes. Just sped up, so it's like it's almost like a mocking version of that, like weeping figure from the end of the yep. before. Yeah, it's yeah. It, you you saying mocking? It really does yeah. feel like a person witnessing another person weeping and doing the like. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. It, that's that's exactly what's going on. And again, that that plays into the whole band is playing with themes and ideas and imagery in their own way mm-hmm. throughout. The, the the bridge between these two songs. That's so cool. Hmm. Yeah. 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 No, that's super, that is super interesting. Um, yeah. So I'll just say that the, I, I think that there is a kind of weak confidence, I'm going to call it in, in mm. this verse. And what I mean by that is not a, like a, a confidence that is like just a little bit of confidence. I mean, like a confidence that is, presents itself as big, but is actually weak. Um, something that uh, I, <laughs> um, and I don't mean this to denigrate uh, 18, 19, 20 year olds who I teach on a daily <laughs> basis, but you get 
you get that sense when you teach college kids, right? Yeah. They're, you know, and it's fine. You're, you're learning. I mean, they obviously, they don't know as much about the stuff that they're learning as I do. That's why I'm teaching the class. Right. Um, and so when they try to make a stab at something, they do it with great confidence, but their reasoning, like the, 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 the substance of it is weak. And that's yeah. how this strikes me, right? Mm-hmm. That the, the narrative, the narrator is quoting scripture, right? At this, uh, you know, pr- even if it's imaginary, right? Um, he's quoting scripture at this uh, other person yep. who, and it's totally ineffectual. <laughs> um, yep. And, and not just ineffectual. I mean, I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff I think going on here philosophically that, um, you know, is maybe perhaps reading too much into it. Uh, but I, I, I want to kind of draw a connection between this first reference of Vonnegut here. And then when we get to um, everything is beautiful, like I think that there's some framing that's going on here that's sort of setting us up for the end of the third act, if we're going to continue yeah, with that sure. um, <laughs> that idea here. So well, let me just um, read the verse and then you can yeah. say which part of it is, is where you see Vonnegut come out of it. So, so it reads, until I say in his silent sound was the peace I found, but she hides behind her eyelids and I feel the breath from her nose on my neck as it blows by. The warmth passes me like her love did. But a tree once cut down came up new from the ground and she smiles a lie. That may very well be, she replies. And so it goes. It's the devil, I suppose, but it doesn't matter much to me. Yeah, so I, I think that with with the quotation of scripture, that that strikes me as um, a very kind of like evangelical thing to do. <laughs> so, which part of this are, are we talking about for the? Oh, so in um, in in the in his silent sound was the peace I found. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I don't think that's a direct quotation of scripture. That's um, I think a a, a reference to um, like. Uh, the idea of like being still and knowing sure. knowing God or something mm, like that. Well, the, the track coming up called "Be Still." So right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the tree once cut down came up new from the ground is a reference to Job, um, yeah. which, if I recall correct, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. That's going to be embarrassing. But um, <laughs> if I recall correctly, I mean, the story of Job is right that um, God makes a wager with the quote adversary um, that. Uh, that Job will not curse God and turn his back on God if everything is taken from him. Um, and and so Job indeed loses everything. All his kids die, his crops, his business is destroyed, and he loses all of his health, and he still refuses to curse God, right? So there is, a, I think, kind of a perhaps a melodramatic sort of tie-in to what the yeah. <laughs> um, to what's going on here with the narrator, right? Um, and... Uh, uh, at the end, like sort of the last half of Job is Job having this conversation with God, um, like basically saying, why did you do this to me? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I think that this um, this idea, I believe, comes up in that portion of Job where um, like the idea is um, you can start over like the, the tree, your life has been cut down, but it can come, it can spring anew, right? So not over where you can keep, uh, you can keep going. Um, And so there's this kind of 
optimism, right? That's reflected mm-hmm. in what the uh, what the sort of um, narrator, the first person character, is saying here. Um, and then when and it's, yeah, go it's ahead. It's also Steve. an image that Me Without You has has lingered on prior to this moment, even though this is their first full length album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their first EP I think was called Hope for a Tree Cut Down or something like that. Mm. Yes, yeah, right. To find. And then there was a song on their second EP with that title that wasn't uh, that wasn't on the first one. I think, or maybe that song's on both. I don't have them in front of me right yeah, now. Yeah. Okay. So. But this is apparently an image that that was compelling enough right. that right that they stuck with it for a while at the beginning there. Right. So then she she smiles a lie. Um, smiles and, a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna pass over that for just a second because I want to get to. Um, the, that may very well be, she replies, and so it goes. Okay. So this is the reference to, to Vonnegut, right? Vonnegut, um, was, you know, a, a science fiction, uh, author in the middle of the, the 20th century. He died in 2007. Um, he, uh, was, was pretty prolific. He wrote like over a dozen. I have them. Yeah. Right here behind me. Um, <laughs> uh, <Nice>. <laughs> all of his novels, uh, it's something like a dozen or, or more, uh, novels, um, in his career. Um, and so, but he wasn't just a, a science fiction author. He, um, also was, you know, all of his fiction is anti-war, um, part of the sort of mid 20th century anti-war genre, along with Thomas Pynchon, Joseph Heller. Um, and, uh, and it also, deals very much with existential themes, right? Questions about um, sort of uh, trying to turn ideas about um, kind of concreteness and absolute certainty and so forth uh, on their head, in particular with regard to morality. Um, Vonnegut is uh, known for being highly critical of religion. Um, I don't think that he... Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll save some of this for when we talk about everything is beautiful, but um, uh, I don't think he's completely anti-religion, um, but he's certainly critical of the perspective of religion that says everything is okay, right? That puts yeah. on sort of a mask and pretends like there isn't actual suffering in the world, right? Or that um, religion could never be the source of suffering in the world or that religion can only be a force for good in the world or something like that. Um, and, and so the, the, the phrase, so it goes, uh, comes into Vonnegut, um, when he is trying to address the absurdity of, uh, of tragedy, the absurdity of death. Um, that's a very common existential theme in the mid 20th century. Um, Mm -hmm. you have, you know, Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre and, and those guys dealing with, um, you know, trying to, to grapple with the absurdity of death. You know, this idea that someone can be living, uh, you know, a full and happy life. And then just in an instant, they're, they're gone. Um, that strikes them and Vonnegut as, um, there's something absurd about that, right? There's something that's so tragic that all you can do is sort of laugh at it in a, in a way, mm-hmm. right? Not laugh in a, in a way like I'm going to make fun of it, but like you, you either laugh or you cry, right? That's all you can do. Um, and there's no, for them, there's no meaning 
uh, sort of implicit in that event. I think that that's the that's the key thing for Vonnegut is that death doesn't have an implicit meaning, right? We have to make it meaningful, and he has a really hard time with that. He survived the the bombing of Dresden um, at the end of World War II. That's what Slaughterhouse Five is about. Um, that was a totally senseless and unnecessary uh, military operation by the Allies that killed uh, 100,000 German civilians. Um, it was the end of the war. They didn't need to do it. There was no uh, military base there. There was, uh, uh, I think, um, military uh, like bullet production that was taking place yeah. there. Um, but, uh, but there was no military base. There were no soldiers there. It was all civilians pretty much um anyway so so that you know for vonnegut it's like you actually can't make meaning of that right so all you can say right to something like that is so it goes right this is just what happens right and so when you sort of put that all that i mean that's a <laughs> lot right to kind of put into the, what's happening in this um in this song um but i think that you know what she's saying is like Look, I, I mean, th things like this happen, like so it goes, like, yeah. um, and may, you know, it's the devil, I guess, right? But it does, it just doesn't matter, like, move on. Like, there's something that, that he's kind of hanging on to here that she's just kind of like, well, why? And then when you get to the, the bridge, right? When he says, put music, put music to our troubles, right? <laughs> In some ways, it's sort of a, a refusal. Um, of her, so it goes like, you know, just, uh, kind of, uh, rest in the, uh, absurdity of the loss. Yeah. Um, he's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to put music and dance, dance them away. Yeah. And I, th there's so much to unpack in what you've just told us about in that, in that first verse that I, I want to get to the put music to it. Cause I agree with where, where you're going. Right. Logically, like that's that's yeah. spot on. I also think, you know, the the if you just look at the the quoted line, yeah, basically two from the the you know narrator in this relationship and then one quote from from this this woman responding. Yeah. So you get in his silent sound was the piece I found. Fast forward, but a tree once cut, cut down came up new from the ground. Fast forward, her response. And so it goes as the devil, I suppose, but it doesn't matter much to me. To me, that's always sounded like she wasn't really paying attention. Like there's right. even Same. flippant, not only absurd, but also like, well, I have I the word flippant written in my notes okay, next to the end go. of that line. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I think that that's, you know, when, when he says, and she smiles a lie, yep. like yeah. her, that may very well be is, is a lie. She doesn't believe that. Like, no, that <laughs> what you yeah. just said is, is meaningless to me like yeah flippant for sure Putting this album timeline-wise mm -hmm. in the context of 
of you know early 2000s evangelicalism which is um like is an increasingly uncomfortable fit for me without you as time goes on but here we're yeah. still like this is the first record out on tooth and nail yeah about the culture of of american evangelicalism then yeah you know there's this there's this notion within that subculture especially with teenagers of like missionary dating this is not that. <laughs> this is like a missionary breakup like it like there's someone yeah. trying to like make a point on the way out the door um, <laughs> And, yes, yes. And she doesn't want yep. any of it. Like, oh yep. my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, so th- that's exactly where I was going is to, to apply just the quotes to this. It, yep. Someone is using, you know, some sort of, pro- frankly, probably a straw man argument if we're, if we're being honest here. And then she's just spitting it right back at him saying like, look at how easily I can flippantly flip, you know, well, it's a, it's a, plati- it's a platitude. Like exactly. What he's, what he's giving her is just an evangelical platitude. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, Stephen, I think you're exactly right. I mean, um, there's something that is, I think, markedly different about this that you maybe find a little bit in um, maybe Juliana Theory, uh, mm. first two records, which came out in 90. Nine and 2000. Um, so before this, you find a little bit of, of that, I think, um, but not as, not as strong as this, where this is, it's really being sort of recognized for what it is, is a kind of platitude. Like mm-hmm. in the earlier Tooth and Nail catalog, I'm thinking especially of a band like uh, Slick Shoes, right? And I, I really liked Slick Shoes when I was, uh, you know, in, in high school and stuff, you know, really great skate punk band. Um, but yeah. their lyrics are full of these platitudes um, taken 100% seriously. I mean, that's, yeah. and I mean, the, you know, the front man of that band was 14 when their first full length came out. So <laughs> it, it makes sense. Um, as a 14 year old, that's all you've got to run on is like, exactly, 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 exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you, you maybe find a little bit of criticism of, of kind of this sort of evangelical way of thinking in in some, uh, MXPX, um, a little bit, but, but I, but you don't really find it like sort of just as baldly acknowledged Mm -hmm. as it is here. Like this is just being called out by this other character as that's BS. I don't buy into that. Yeah. Which is super interesting when you take into the un- into account the unreliable narrator nature of mm. all of this album. Yeah. yeah, because that's potentially one of the most honest parts that we get is that little that little glimmer of it's okay and actually worthwhile to doubt, and we we see that repeated in this album and repeated in the rest of their discography the need to question how we got to these when you just listen to the platitudes it to to lean into something you were kind of skirting around with vonnegut i think vonnegut's critique of religion is dogma if you just blindly follow dogma rather than rather than struggle through to find the inner meeting again going kind of back to the whirling dervish concept if you Uh will like that's what it is. If you can go through that, if you can go, you know, I'm not going to speak a platitude that I can't use correctly, but if you're going to go through <laughs> hell and back, I mean, and still believe this, okay, now we can talk. Yes. No, exactly. I think that's 100% right. Yeah, um, yeah. Vonnegut is, throughout his 
entire body of work is just frustrated completely with uh, religious people who refuse to essentially see the world as it actually is. Yeah. Right? And, and he thinks that um, that Christianity actually teaches that, that Jesus didn't ignore the suffering in the world. Um, That's right? all he focused he, on. He, right, exactly. <laughs> like he, he wanted to, to see the world, to try to reveal the world for how it actually is. And Vonnegut's like, well, why you say you follow this guy, but you're, you're clearly not, right? You're just pretending like there's no suffering in the world. So the next section, I think we're, we've, we've teed this up in, from like three or four different angles now. Yep. This bridge of the song. Well, but wait, hold on, though. Before we get yeah. to that, yeah. I, I, I really need to hear about this, that second guitar line. Oh, because yes. Because there's something. Yeah. OK, so there's something that strikes me as like, um, gosh, I don't know how to put it, like almost like sort of like circusy or trickstery mm. <laughs> or yeah. something like a little bit like almost like like um if we're if we were imagining like uh you know like a Peter and the Wolf kind of thing yep. like that there were you oh, know yeah. that that there that that is like the the sound of the fool or something like yeah. that yeah, right? yeah yeah um that's how that's how it strikes me yep. I, I don't know if it strikes you guys in in a different way 100% it but, does yep no it works that way for me too um two things about that that musical moment one uh, and I, I will unapologetically be a broken record for the insistence of A's and B's <laughs> as meaningful musical gestures. Yeah, do it. Keep keep it in view. <laughs> it's not exactly that rhythm, but that basic riff, the underlying like mm -hmm. low end bass thing, is is an A that just is insistently hammering down below this this upper level, this high like chromatic <laughs> thing. <laughs> so that low mm -hmm. is an A. Then up top, mm -hmm. that's actually an A is where we start. So we do a chromatic slide down. A, G sharp, G natural, E. And then and then it, do, it sequences. So in, in, in musical lingo, a sequence is where the same melody is repeated but starting at a different pitch level. Um, mm. it's, whether that's like a really like sophisticated thing to do or just an intuitive thing to do, I don't know. But it <laughs> sounds good and it makes sense. So you get the yeah. sequence of and the exact same riff down, starting where the last one ended. So same tune twice. Probably if you're getting any circus vibes and sort of like sort of a, a full. There's this like typical clown music, right? That I I wish I could tell you. I wasn't I wasn't planning on thinking about that. <laughs> yes, right. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. That thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That probably yeah, yeah. comes to mind. Probably, <laughs> that is probably what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. And that's that's just a classic. Uh, it's that that whole. Um, it it's a descending chromatic scale. Yeah, that's yeah, the same yeah. Okay. Kind of gesture. Now, when you hear a descending chromatic scale in in the upper range, then it, and it sounds like that clown stuff. 
When you hear descending chromatic scale down low, it does not give that vibe. Or whatever. Right, right, yeah. Then, well, now all of a sudden that sounds like Led Zeppelin. But like, yeah, I was just gonna say, <laughs> okay, that's that's Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. no, but th- that's not a bad place to go to. So that the Zeppelin riff is is a descending chromatic scale with a kind of an anchoring bass note in it. Right, and it has um, that's Days and Confused, right? Like I haven't listened to that. Yes, so I believe so. so. So that kind of a sound on a in a low yep. register. Is is in that same kind of camp of of um, lament gestures that we see show up for a long time okay. in different kinds of music. So that that weeping appoggiatura that we listened to in the last track is one way of expressing lament in music. A descending bass line that moves by low chromatic steps is another way to express lament. Okay. So I hear, I hear that upper stuff. That the descending chromatic line as being this sort of echo at a distance of that lamenting stuff, but it is mm. distinctly different. It's a different gesture than what we hear sort of seriously at the end of Bullet to Binary and mockingly gotcha. at the earlier part of the ghost. Um, yeah. But it kind of continues on that that like taking something that in a different context sounds yeah. like weeping and now sounds like foolish like clown music right now. Like, yeah. Yeah. It works in the same way. Oh, that's so um, interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. Well, and so all I wanted to interject there with the musical styling changing that, that moment where kind of a lot of everything else goes away. Mm -hmm. I don't know the proper terminology for it, but it it creates this feeling of movement within this one song Mm -hmm. that's then repeated to me, the most obviously in between gentlemen and be still child. Where if you're mm. not paying attention, that feels like one longer song sure. yes, with, yes, with this sort of gesture right. happening in between them, which is really, really, really neat because I've, I've never thought about Bullet to Binary and the Ghost actually feeling like one longer song until what we've done today. Like yeah. they really do feel like, like, like you said at the, at the top, Joel, the ghost feels like the beginning of the actual album and bullet to binary was kind of like the, the, um, Oh, what's the, what's the musical term I'm looking for? Overture. Oh, the prelude. Yeah. The, the overture, prelude. the prelude. Yeah. 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 It, it feels like, all right, here is the intensity and the emotion that we're getting into. And then the ghost, we, we almost hit the actual story running now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and with that, with that little clown gesture that we just talked yeah. about where we're kind of moving into the next phase before the song's even over. Yeah. Which? So, so that, that gesture um, comes in as, as a texture behind the, the lyrics, like for, for a while. Yeah. And then it gets like set apart as its own thing. Yep. Um, I think that's an interesting musical choice. Um, Same. To, to, to elide the sections of the song that way. Um, and it's, it, as, as the band builds up their own musical vocabulary over the course of A to B life, it's the kind of gesture that is going to come up later as like a transition between songs. I think you're kind of getting at this. Like this, yep. this, mm, yeah. this almost sounds like they could be leading into another song. Uh, and then they exactly. Don't, then they go. In. So it, I don't know. I haven't thought through how I think that, that quiet, you know, high riff. Like what's happening psychically, like in that moment. So the words have dropped out. We're still in some sort of headspace, you know, with those mm-hmm. words that just happened. Um, but then the next thing that happens is this, is it kicks back up again. 
So it's like almost like it gives this space for thoughtfulness after yeah. she responds flippantly yeah. to what he says. Right. It's like thinking about it, thinking about it, having a sort of mocking voice in my head. I mean, that little chromatic riff can mm, almost yes. represent what she said. It's like her voice coming in. Like you're a fool. Exactly. You're a fool yeah. for thinking this. Yep. And yeah. then and then when you <laughs> I love I love that when it kicks back in. I mean, you a know, one, two, three, four. Uh, uh, a, isn't this where the solo is or am I misremembering? The solo that? comes in at the end of this song. Um, okay. Like the, Mike's big guitar solo is the last thing you hear. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. a very so, nice kind of transition to the drum right, part of, right. of nice and blue. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, when it, yeah. So it kicks back in and it's like, yeah, you, Steven, I think that, that that interpretation with the music, I mean, that fit, fits so well because he's basically saying like, Nah, actually, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to listen well, to you. Like, yeah. I'm going to put music to my troubles. And I think yeah. that high that high guitar lick comes in in the section of the verse where she's about to start speaking. So it's like that; those correspond to each other mm. already. Like they're they're lined up side by side. And well, and I was just going to say his vocalization. He's not singing. There's no there's no melody there. But the yeah. the cadence with which he's reading that fits so perfectly with that gesture that. Mm. You're absolutely right. The fact that it's repeated and worked and worked on and, and progressed when there's nothing else, I, that's it. That that's what's happening. There's no other reading. <laughs> we yeah, figured it sure. out. We'll we'll go with that. Uh, so I'll say <laughs> I, I will try uh, on this show to reference Richard Wagner as seldom as possible. Um, <laughs> I wanted you to turn that dial up, not down. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, but Wagner Wagner is tapping into something that uh, that Schopenhauer had a lot to say about. Yeah. Uh, about the power of music to represent um, something below the surface of our conscious existence. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, in, in Wagner's music, he's, he's consciously creating a sort of a noumenal world out of musical sound that is mm -hmm. saying what's really going on that the characters can't say themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he does that by associating with certain bits of music with things that are happening in the story. So that then later on, you know, an hour and a half, you know, on into this drama somewhere, you can hear the tune come back again. And even though nobody's singing about that subject, you know that that you should be thinking about it somehow in the psyche mm. of the characters or you as the audience, like yeah, someone is thinking about that thing that's associated with that tune and, and nobody has to say a word to get that across. The music is really working as like a mental sort of a discourse there. Yeah. So, in a tiny, tiny scaled version, maybe that gesture works that way right here. That she's stopped talking in the lyrics of the song, but she hasn't stopped talking in his head. Yeah. The words are, her words are almost ringing louder in his head than the platitudes he was saying to her a moment ago, which right. those platitudes are the things he's, that, that's what's mooring him to this logic that he's basing his whole life on at this, at this stage. And then that's what's ringing in his ears louder than anything is, yeah. mm, that's really cool. And then he just starts yelling, put music to our troubles. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, it, and we could read that a lot of different ways. And I don't know if we need to spend a huge amount of time on the line, put music to our troubles. But um, I will say, because you already mentioned this, uh, Nick, a little while ago. Yeah. I think because that this bridge section ends with the line and we'll dance them away. I, I don't know that it's entirely out of place to bring bring up the whirling dervishes here. I think they're going to show up from time to time. Yep. But, yeah. You know, Aaron has been on the record saying that when they started me without you, he was excited to get out from behind the drums because he'd been playing drums in the operation. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Me without you, he came out and he played bass for a while till they got a bass player. And then when he stopped playing bass, 
he said he was excited that he got to dance on stage. Like that's the thing mm. he was looking forward to that he was physically free enough without holding an instrument that he could dance. Yep. And you know, that's fine enough. I'm sure lots of people that are like front men and bands enjoyed like the physical freedom of getting to move around while they're, sure. while they're singing. But, um, Fergie on the Today Show serious... comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Aaron's a, like a, he's a pretty serious dude. Uh, yeah. You know, he drops like every conversation goes like straight to like the, the, you know, the heart of existence and the meaning of the universe. And so like, like for him dancing, I think it probably, like, even if it is like a, a genuine physical release, it probably is also like tied to something. And so I presume growing up in a Sufi environment, that the image of, of the dervish is a meaningful one. Yeah. You can't quite get away from when we talk about dancing. That's yeah. That's really interesting. I, now I'm starting to see this put music to our troubles in a, a slightly different light. Mm. At first I was thinking, okay, this is him uh, just fully resisting, right. Um, mm-hmm. Acknowledging the suffering and, and so forth. And by just like, instead dancing, a state right, of gonna, denial, yeah. Right, yeah. But now I'm thinking, no, no, this is this is maybe a way of um of acknowledging it actually, of of feeling it, like yeah. um of combining like to put music to the troubles and dance them away is is I mean, I guess that's the line that kind of gets me to dance them away. But 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 yeah, maybe it maybe it is something that's that's more um to kind of bring uh, Kierkegaard back into this, right? I'm that glad is, you went there because I was going to. Morning, yeah, right. That, that is more like uh, uh, choosing uh, the the good and evil, right? Choosing to mm-hmm. um, to to be to move toward um, more toward the the ethical. I, I mean, because if we if we are taking that that aid to be metaphor for mm-hmm. Kierkegaard, right? Seriously, here, right? We're getting toward. We should be. I mean, we've already had B, of course. Um, yeah. But but this. But to me, that marks the the beginning of the transition from mm. A to B, right? Yeah. Um, and so now we're getting toward the end of uh, uh, to where the the main character should be getting closer to uh, to B toward to the ethical. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's reflected in, you know, he's say, now saying from my left eye flow tears of joy, sorrow mm-hmm. from my right. The the whole rest of this is this kind of like, OK, now I, I am going to start to figure out how to hold both of these things in tension. It yeah, doesn't yeah. just need to be in the silent sound was in his silent sound was the piece I found. It doesn't need to be this platitude. You can have joy and sorrow in tension together i so yeah. maybe the the put music is actually like that is the that's the term right there mm-hmm. for him where he's now mm-hmm. um and, and i think that your point Stephen, about the image of the dervish and and the um influence of sufism here um is yeah i mean i think that there there's something there for sure i mean it's certainly not right there on the surface no but like so many things if you drop that image in and just sit with it i feel like it reveals something that is implicit without without being explicit so if like if vonnegut's critique of religion is that it's ignoring suffering and just sort mm-hmm. of saying everything's all right that makes perfect sense as a critique of these platitudes that he gives a little bit earlier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but if then his response to that is put music to our troubles. It, it's acknowledging that the troubles exist. It's not saying yep. that they aren't there. Exactly. Doing something about it. 
And and then if you add this this element of of you know the dervish image where we're dancing itself and dancing for that matter in a repetitive cyclical way. I mean, this is the first line in the album that he's repeated: "Put music, put music, put music to our troubles." Like he mm-hmm. says, it. Like, other than "Let us die, let us die." Interestingly, from Rumi, so we have like this <laughs> Sufi image of, of something yeah. that has to repeat. Come mm-hmm. back around, you know, dervish music and dancing is very repetitive. You know, it's just yes. circles over and over and over again. Right. Siri so has this repeated line. It's very different than what he's been doing before. And we'll dance them away. It's this, um, whether you think of it as like even an act of worship, which in which Sufi dancing, you know, yeah. I presume it is, but it then even it's a it's just on a purely psychological level, it's cathartic. Um, yes, yes. And and of course catharsis is all about the experience of them being able to release like this emotion and this crying, which is exactly what happens next. Yeah. So, so to that point, <laughs> uh, because if we take it in the original reading that we were having before, Joel, you had that really nice insight. It almost feels like an aesthetic, like a continuation of the A. It, mm. You could you could read it as a continuation of the A, sure. because I want to do this thing that is not cerebral. But right. yes, as we are talking about through music and dance, and I mean. It, I think this is true of Aaron without having ever met the man and probably never will. Um, the physical act of dancing is probably one, like all cultures have music. All cultures have dance for the most part. And mm-hmm. there, there is something we cannot put words to the feeling that he is going through right now. So the only way to process it is through music and dance. I, I think that actually is exactly like you say, Joel, the moving into the B and like, as you say, from my left eye flow, the tears of joy, sorrow from my right, that is the good and evil. That is mm-hmm. the, 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 the thread of good and evil running through the heart of every man. Like that's, yeah. that's it right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, it's okay. The first ser- serious, like binary lyrical pair we get in the album, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, yeah. There's mm-hmm. going to be plenty more, but that's the first one we get. Right. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And it's almost hidden because it feels like a reference back to the tears running down her cheek. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's tears yeah. running down his cheek, uh, which is really interesting. Um, but then we get this awesome line, another quoted line. You might be yeah. too strong to surrender, boy, but you're far too frail to fight. <laughs> Who in the heck said that (laughs) who is saying that is it god is it her is it him to himself is it a third person that's not in the room yet i I don't know all the potential you's that are in the the (laughs) without you it could be any of them right exactly right yeah i mean that kind of strikes me i mean to kind of bring this idea of the the weak confidence of his platitudes Mm -hmm. back like it's almost an, an acknowledgement here of that like you're too strong to surrender, but you're also, you're frail. You're a boy, right? You're frail. You're weak. Like it's, um, you know, you have some fight in you, right? Your confidence is big, but you're too frail to fight. Like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know that that's, that's how I, I see that, I guess. Totally. Well, let's take this out to the end of the end of the last section of words because I'm 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 still really puzzled by the way the song ends, and it may shed some light on the way that this last last section yeah. ends and who it is that's speaking. So to read read this whole section together, after put music to our troubles, we'll dance in the way is 
from my left eye fall tears of joy, of sorrow from my right. You might be too strong to surrender, boy, but you're far too frail to fight. That old dull pain beats in my brain and falls down my back into every limb. And it's more of the same as the warmth that I seem to lack. You'll neither find in him. Hmm. I think it's a haunting last sure is. line to leave on. Yeah. And who is saying that? Like, that's, that's as intriguing to me. It seems to... Same. I, I don't know. It... You can read it as the narrator narrator of the whole song, but and I think that old dull pain beats in my brain, falls down my back into every limb. That much feels definitely like the narrator. It's continuing this physical experience. The tears are flowing from both eyes. Now there's a dull pain in his brain, falls down his back. Like there's this descent. The whole song it starts with you know this it's this descending gesture. We have and this. Yeah, yeah. There's so many descending gestures in the music and so yeah. many descending images in the words. Um, all that feels right in line. But then, and it's more of the same as the warmth that I seem to lack, you'll neither find in him. I don't know what to do with that line. I, so to me, it, it feels like if we're seeing the, the bridge as kind of like, oh, he's turning the corner yeah. away from the aesthetic to the ethical, this feels like a relapse. Like mm-hmm. the old dull pain is bad. Right? I, I mean, I think just the most straightforward reading of this is yeah. he thought that he had um, figured out how to cope with the pain of this breakup and he was wrong. Like it's, it's come. And I mean, that, that happens, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, when, yeah, when grief you go isn't through, linear. Exactly. Yeah. When you go through anything painful, um, even, uh, years later, you can experience um, some sort of cropping up of that, right? So, yeah. um, you know, and then the, as and it's more of the same as the warmth that I seem to lack, you'll neither find in him. I, again, I think the most straightforward way to read that is like, she's moved on to someone new and, you know, there's this kind of, um, I mean, honestly, like an immaturity, Right. Yeah. Um, to, to basically say like, you thought I was cold. Well, like I, you know, you're not going to find it. You're not going to do any better with this yeah. new right. person. Right. Sure. Um, sure. Well, and, and that I, ties back to bullet to binary. There's, there are lines at the in that last stanza again, you know, uh, which is the one I'm thinking of. And when you say you love him, taste me like poison on your tongue. It exactly. She's, she's moved on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because it ends with that, the solo, right, that then gives way into the beat of uh, Nice and Blue, it's almost like, um, because I think that the beginning of Nice and Blue represents like a total 180 from what I just said, from what the, from how the ghost ends, right? You were a song that I couldn't sing, you were a story I couldn't tell. It's sort of like a, um, uh, like a, a kind of, inventory like of what went wrong in a way Hmm. like for him like um like oh you know like the i i just i couldn't uh yeah i don't know we'll 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 get to nice and blue next time we we will but but but, but i think that the because the intensity of the the solo at the end of uh the ghost 
is it, it recalls the bridge in a way. Yeah. Um, the intensity of the bridge, right? Um, and so it's like, okay, is he has he um found a, a second wind now, right? Is that mm-hmm. what the the end of the song is is and then it it clicks as nice and blue begins. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, that makes sense. Tying that you'll neither find in him directly to the uh when you say you love him, taste me and my poison under your tongue. That makes sense to me. The thing that is confusing, because I, I don't normally listen to this looking at the lyrics, is is because the nature of this, the kind of band we're listening to, you know, all pronouns can can immediately become divine pronouns at any given moment. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that being <laughs> said, I do feel that he typically capitalizes yeah. him when when it's yeah. definitely God. Mm-hmm. But you'll neither find in him if we're talking about God. This is now self-referential, self-reflective, or or on her. Like, okay, because you couldn't do it, because you couldn't because you didn't buy into the missionary dating that we were doing, <laughs> you will never, you're, you're damned. Yeah. There, there's nothing that could, you cannot be saved now yeah. because you didn't, you weren't saved by me. Mm. Um, yeah. Oof. Which is well, oof. It, yikes. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> and if this whole, if this whole last section is a, is a relapse, if he goes through mm-hmm. some sort of growth and, and catharsis and maturing through the, the tears flowing from his right and his left eye, this quoted line, which again is ambiguous, who's saying you might mm. be too strong to surrender, boy, but you're far too frail to fight. It seems like that line, whoever says it, and it's not him, it's in quotes, triggers the, the relapse. And th- that's what triggers that old dull pain beats in and, my brain. And, and, the old dull, and, the, and, and when that line starts, the old dull pain, doesn't the uh, the chromatic gesture come back at that moment? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly the moment where okay. it comes back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. so I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a claim. There's no there's no textual evidence <laughs> yet. Yes. I think that's his dad. Whoa. Saying, whoa. saying okay. you I, I think that's his dad or a father figure. I mean now, what other person can get away with calling you boy? Like, exactly. True. true. Uh, hi dad, if you're listening to this, I, you still <laughs> you still call me boy. I'm twenty-nine. Um, yeah. um <laughs> it's with love. But yeah. Okay. Uh, let me let me take you on a journey. Why I think this could be sure. his father. So the growth that we're talking about, I don't think it's actual growth. I think it's the he has tapped into the thing that he needs to to work on. It's kind of like mm. okay, you're in therapy, or or you're you you've prayed a lot on something, and you've kind of found the nugget that you need to work on. Right. That's the beginning, not right. the end of the work. Right. So I think the putting music to our troubles and dancing and then crying about it. Okay, finally the shell is broken. Like he he has let go for a moment. Right, but he's not fixed. Like he hasn't, he's not fixed. He hasn't done the he, work yet. Yeah, <laughs> he just had a moment of of ego death in, in a sense yeah. to yeah. to say like okay now I know what to do and then he goes right back into the aesthetic way of thinking about life that is. Yeah playing into the platitudes, whatever. His dad says this kind of harsh, but fair to say thing. And then that sends him into a relapse. My evidence for backing this up. Again right there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. With, the, with, with the gesture coming back in. My, my backing up of this <laughs> comes from, oh, and the song title just passed out of my head, but it's all crazy. Oh, um, a lot, a lot, a lot. Maybe if you're old man, oh, did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, okay. yeah. so so anytime that there's this 
slightly out of voice of the narrator person popping in, I'm going to posit that it could be a father figure that feels like you're being done wrong by your dad, potentially. We'll we'll dig into that line I, in depth, but I think that's great. I, and I think I think we need to be open to that being a voice that interjects itself into songs other places. I, I yeah. can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm no, glad same. I have that in our toolkit to think about. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the. It could be a mother figure. It could sure. be a, a, a teacher of some sort or a leader, whatever. But right. having that, I was just listening to that album two or three times today, so that's partly why that line is stuck in my head. But Mm, it, it feels it feels relevant, especially at the age roughly that this character, this narrator is in. Yeah. You're gonna be listening to your dad, but you're also gonna be like, screw you, dad. I'm <laughs> figuring this out on my own. And yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's this throwaway line right after that, and it's more of the same. Mm-hmm. It feels very <laughs> defeated, but it also feels like a callback to so it goes. You know, this sort of yeah. just like, well, that's just how life is, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which is a little footnote foothold for Aaron. Okay. There is a little bit of growth. And so it goes like there, there's some truth to that statement. If, if you buy into it, it's don't be defeatist about it. Sure. though. Right. That comes out of her voice. Right. And it's not mm-hmm. like it's the same line he's quoting. He doesn't literally say the word. So it goes, but if it, if it feels like it's moving in that direction, then like she says it once, it hurts. He thinks about what she said. He goes through yeah. the growth process. His dad says something. He comes back around. And now after having this, you know, chromatic line recalling her words to him, including that so it goes line, then now out of his own mouth comes this. And it's more of the same as the warm text mm-hmm. of black. Yeah. Him. Right. I mean, a, another sort of version of Vonnegut's so it goes is um, and so on. Right. Yeah. He uses and so on. Uh, you know, a lot in in the exact same way, or etc. He in Breakfast of Champions, he uses etc. and and so on, sort of interchangeably, again and again and again, in the same way that he uses. So it goes in other parts of his of his work. So yeah, more of the same. Sometimes we'll see when we get to Aaron screaming the words etc. Et yeah. I just was is in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh. <laughs> well, so I mean, I, I love that. That yeah, she's she's sort of the the pain of her is back in his brain at and her if we're understanding that chromatic figure as her voice right um, then it kind of right it ends with her voice and then that amazing I mean it's, to call it a fill I don't know if a drummer would actually would call that a fill necessarily but that <laughs> like when it hits it's like. Uh, I, I love that moment. I mean, that's one Same. of my favorite moments from from any Me Without You song. Is are those? He's hitting the drums so hard. So um, hard. I mean, so hard. Um, it, it's like it's, it sounds so yeah, just so good. I love that. Um, Same. Uh, but but yeah, then you know, so it's it's sort of a, a repeat in a way of. Uh, of what happened before the bridge, as I was saying, you know, you you have her voice kind of echoing in his uh, in his head, even though there there aren't any words of hers here, right? Yeah. He's still right. Just the thought of her is like echoing, and then it goes into the into the uh, solo where yeah. I imagine that's the character putting music to his troubles again, again yeah, right? trying yeah. it again sure. because then in Nice and Blue, I mean, he's I think. Nice and blue, he's really working some stuff out, mm-hmm. right? That's that's where he's doing the work of trying to like 
parse what actually happened as, right. as and, well and, as he can put it together. Yeah, yeah. And, and figure out how am I going to move forward? Like, the, yeah. yeah, the platitudes aren't going to work. I'm, I, I need to do something to move forward. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode about The Ghost. If you could, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. This is so important, especially early on, to get us on the map with other podcast listeners. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Us Without Them Pod. You can join our Facebook group at Us Without Them Podcast or on Twitter at simply Us Without Them. You can email us questions and comments at uswithoutthempod at gmail.com, or you can call us at 405-FOXES-05. That's 405-369-3705 to leave us a voicemail, which we may play on an episode. Also be sure to visit our website, uswithoutthempod.com. Uh, where we have episode descriptions, blog posts, show notes, as well as a couple you know, pieces of merch. And we'll also put links to any other music, books, or other resources that we mention on the show. We'll see you next time, everybody, when we talk about Nice and Blue.